0: KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Monday evening where we are set to explore the book of Genesis chapters. Well, let's see here. I'm looking at the Bible and we are going to wrap up our discussion this evening on chapter 31 and get into some of chapter 32. But before we do that, I did want to continue to welcome all of you who are tuning in by way of podcasts in the countries of Canada and Mexico. Uh, Some of those countries in South America that I continue to see, Brazil, Argentina, uh, Chile, those countries in Europe and Western Europe, Portugal, France, Spain, Italy, uh, Croatia. And to those of you who are listening in the country of France, congratulations to you on winning the World Cup. I'm sure you're excited about that. Uh, And also those countries who are listening in Africa, I see Egypt and Kenya and Nigeria, as well as South Africa This past weekend, I was in the state of Alabama, so for those of you who might be tuning into this podcast uh, in the state of Alabama, I, I welcome you and or wherever you might be, because I know a number of you flew out or flew in, rather, to the state of Alabama, so wherever you might be listening in the United States, I welcome you. Now, what we do here on Seeds of Truth is from one week to the next, we hit the Book of Genesis on Mondays and Tuesdays, and then on Wednesday, I have a local associate pastor by the name of Father Mike Ritter, join me to talk about a movie. And then on Thursday, I take up uh, your questions. Special topic Thursday that is tailored to your questions. So that is what our time together is about, in particular to the podcast. So I do welcome you. Now, as I mentioned, for this evening, we are set to talk about uh, the remainder of chapter 31, which is going to have us talking about the covenant between Laban and Jacob, a very important covenant, And then also chapter 32, where we have Jacob sending gifts to really appease Esau, if you will. Now, among other things, this will afford us the opportunity to add to our discussion on covenant life, as well as uh, adding to our discussion on that all-important topic that we have been exploring, fear. Because certainly, (laughs) when you get into the beginning of chapter 32, there's a lot to be said there in relationship to Jacob. All right, so with that, if you can pull out your Bibles and turn to chapter 31, and I will go ahead and read verses 43 to 55. Then Laban answered and said to Jacob, the daughters are my daughters, the children are my children, the flocks are my flocks, and all that you see is mine. But what can I do this day to these my daughters or to their children to to whom they have borne. Come now, let us make a covenant, you and I, and let it be a witness between you and me. So Jacob took a stone and set it up as a pillar. And Jacob said to his kinsmen, Gather stones. And they took stones and made a heap. And they ate there by the heap. Laban called it Jagar Sahadadutha, but Jacob called it Galiad. Laban said, This heap is a witness between you and me today, therefore he named it Galiad, and the pillar Mitzpah, for he said, The Lord watch between you and me when we are absent from one another. If you ill-treat my daughters, or if you take wives besides my daughters, although no man is with us, remember, God is witness between you and me. Then Laban said to Jacob, See this heap and the pillar which I have set between you and me, This heap is a witness and the pillar is a witness that I will not pass over this heap to you and you will not pass over this heap and this pillar to me for harm. The God of Abraham and the God of Nahor, the God of their father, judge between us. So Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac and Jacob offered a sacrifice on the mountain and called his kinsmen to eat bread. And they ate bread and tarried all night on the mountain early in the morning laban arose and kissed his grandchildren and his daughters and blessed them then he departed and returned home okay so there you have the covenant between laban and jacob and just by way of a refresher's course when we are talking about covenant we are talking about everything that the whole old testament is caught up in right even the word testament in the old testament is what but God testifying to his covenant love. Because when you talk about covenant in relationship with God, you are not talking about this is yours and this is mine. But again, I am yours and you are mine. This is not just an exchange of things, but an exchange of persons. Because what God wants us to understand, what lies at the heart of every compact agreement is relationship. But see, what God does with all covenants is that he augments man's covenant making by putting it in the context of relationship. Again, not this is yours and this is mine, but I am yours and you are mine. And this is very important because this is what you have going on in this narrative. We read in verse 44, Come now, let us make a covenant, you and I, and let it be a witness between you and and me. right? So here you have this oath-swearing ceremony, and in this oath-swearing ceremony, what, what do we read? Well, they ate bread, and there were witnesses. What does this sound like, my friends, but the sacramental life of the church? In particular, the Eucharist. Witnesses, swearing oaths, the, the, the sharing of a meal. And what I love about this is that they tarried all night. Now, The Hebrew word for tarry can translate as hesitation, but don't be misinformed. This is not what is going on here. I know I was reading some commentaries, and I think they missed the boat on this whole narrative because they were misinterpreting that one verse alongside of a few others. They tarried all night is not so much that (laughs) they were hesitating, they were lingering in hesitation all night. No, this is more about them being in celebration. One might think of Uh, The prodigal son, right? The son comes home, and what does the father do? What does the father say? Let's celebrate with the feast of the fatted calf, the slaughtered calf. Let's enter into fellowship. Let's enter into interpersonal communion. Let's enter into that celebration which is reflective of the very life of God, right? This is what's going on here in a kind of provisionary way. They are celebrating all night. Here, I'm also made to think of the passage that comes to us in Acts chapter 2, where the first Christians were, what were they doing? They were praying together. They were entering into covenant relationship with one another. They were breaking bread with one another, and they were singing hymns. They were tearing all night long. This was the business of the Christians in the first century, as it was here, right? They were in celebration. Very important, because this, again, is what covenant life is all about. Now, what else could we say here? Well, Laban and Jacob, up to this point, if you've been following this narrative and and following this podcast, we knew them as enemies, right? But they are no longer enemies, but allies. And we have to appreciate what is going on here, because simply these guys did not get along. In effect, these were two men who said to each other, I cannot trust you out of my sight. I cannot trust you out of my sight. Interestingly, they establish a covenant in the place of mitzvah. Mitzvah, which translates as what but trust, union, fellowship. So the very act of this covenant is really an act of faith in one another. And what I love about these verses is the importance of signs right? Let's pick this up again in verse 50. If you will treat my daughters or if you take the wives besides my daughters, although no man is with us, remember, God is witness between you and me. God is witness between you and me. Then Laban said to Jacob, see this heap and the pillar which I have set between you and me? This heap is a witness and the pillar is a witness that I will not pass over this heap to you and you will not pass over this heap and the pillar to me for harm. So on one hand, the pillar and the heap represents something physical, right? Practical, yes, but also they are signs, a reminder of the great covenant that was established here in this moment, at least for Jacob and Laban, right? So here you have the significance of the sign being a reminder of a great covenant, Now, what God does with this in the New Covenant is that the sign becomes the actual presence of God, right? It's just not something practical acting as a reminder while that was important. But no, now God's actual presence is in the sign. This is part of what Christ transforms in the New Covenant, right? What does he say of the the host, the bread? Eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, and you have life in me. This is my flesh. This is my blood. So the signs are no longer just signs, but now the actual presence of God. You see what's going on here? This is why it is so important to read the old in light of the new, and the new in light of the old, and to appreciate that God just isn't fulfilling the Old Covenant and Old Testament. He is at the same time transforming it, transforming it into his own very presence. I absolutely love that. Okay, what else here? Well, the word mitzvah also translates as the Lord watches. So they make this covenant with the understanding that God is the watchman, that God is, oh, we could say, going to keep them honest, right? Right? We need people to uh, help us to be honest, just not with uh, with one another, but with ourselves, right? God is the witness. God is the witness. God is the judge. Why do we have witnesses? I think that's a very important question. Why do we have witnesses? Just not in the sacramental life of the church, but just more generally. Because if one witnesses something, then, then they can make A proper judgment upon it, right? I think this is important because today we tend to reduce what is objective. We want to turn everything into the subjective. We've slipped so far into lies and excuses. We have forgotten that there's something that exists called truth. We have forgotten that there's something that exists called objective reality. We have forgotten that there is something called a witness. And if you are a witness, you become a judge. I know Jesus says, do not judge. But he is not talking about placing a a judgment upon something that is external, something that is objective, because what is objective is external. What is objective is revealed. What is objective is no longer hidden per se. What Jesus was talking about was the judgment of the heart. You can never know What motivates someone to do what they do? And and so you can never place a judgment upon that. He says, do not condemn. Do not condemn. So being a witness, being a judge is very important. It lies at the heart of our faith because at the heart of our faith lives what? But covenant life with God. God as our witness. God in the end as our judge. Huh? You've heard me talk about this before. Brothers and sisters in Christ, each and every one of us will have a final conversation with God. And I have always felt that that if nothing else, (laughs) in that final conversation with God, we should have the hope that we recognize the one we are talking to. Because if we do not recognize the one we are talking to in that final conversation, then what God has been witness to our whole life which is each and everything we have done in our whole life, he will place a strong judgment upon that. This we know, because this he said. So God is witness, and God is judge. And as such, this was on Laban's conscience, this was on Jacob's conscience, of course, and they acted accordingly. It helped them keep each other honest, if you will. I love that. mitzvah. the Lord Watches. So, the same word that means trust, union, fellowship is the same word that means the Lord watches. Why? Because the Lord desires trust, union, fellowship, interpersonal communion. Huh? So, before we jump into chapter 32, just to wrap up this narrative that we have been talking about in chapter 31. We really do come to the end of the long and stormy relationship between Laban and Jacob. But as we do, we are reminded of the importance of what covenant making is all about. That at the heart of every covenant relationship, just not with God, but with one another, is reconciliation. I want to be in good standing with you. I want to be in favorable standing with you. I want to be blessed by God because now I am seeking to be reunified with you. And this is one of the great challenges before each and every one of us, right? Dr. Alan Hunt penned a book talking about this. And the title of the book is, Everyone Has Someone to Forgive. Did you hear that? Everyone has someone to forgive. That is to say, what Dr. Alan Hunt is saying is, everyone has someone to be reconciled with. And if, if you don't think that's true, think long and hard. Maybe you're in the mindset of, well, you want to know what? I'm not right with this brother in Christ or, or with this sister in Christ, and, and I'm all good. But what have I said about that before? That's, that's dangerous thinking. Because indifference can lead to a deep, deep grudge. Ask yourself, have you been indifferent to someone? And now do you hold a grudge towards that someone I don't know. Give that some thought. At least in my own experience, that has been true, and and the good Lord has been challenging me with that. So with Jacob and Laban, we have this great covenant, and incidentally, my friends, this is really the last mention of Laban in the Bible. Uh, The very last mention of Laban in the Bible. All right, chapter 32. Now, chapter 32 has... Arguably, one of the most difficult passages to interpret in all of the book of Genesis, if not the whole Old Testament. If not the most difficult passage to interpret in the book of Genesis, if not in the whole Old Testament. And here, of course, I'm talking about the episode of Jacob wrestling with the angel. Now, we will get into that. But as you know by now, as you know by now, if we are going to understand one verse, what is necessary to do? but better understand its preceding verse. And if you're going to understand that preceding verse, what is the best thing you can do to interpret that verse? But it's preceding verse. What am I saying? We must understand the verses we read and the chapters we read in the larger context of the whole. And so if we're going to understand Jacob wrestling with the angel, we have to get at the heart of just not what is going on in chapter 32, but as I will highlight... What has been going on with Jacob up to this point? From the very time we were introduced to Jacob up to this point. All right, so with that, let us jump into chapter 32. I think I'll go ahead and read verses 1 to 21. And I I don't know how far we are going to get into this reflection tied to these verses. Uh, We may have to just pick up where we left off this evening tomorrow. But uh, I do think we have some time to get into some of this. All right, verses 1 to 21. Jacob went on his way and the angels of God met him and when Jacob saw them he said this is God's army so he called the name of that place Mahatnaim, and Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau his brother in the land of Seir the country of Edom instructing them thus you shall say to my lord Esau thus says your servant Jacob I have sojourned with Laban And stayed until now, and I have oxen, asses, flocks, men servants, and maidservants, and I have sent to tell my Lord in order that I may find favour in your sight. And the messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We came to your brother Esau, and he is coming to meet you, and four hundred men with him. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed, and he divided the people that were with him, and the flocks and herds and camels into two companies, thinking, If Esau comes to the one company and destroys it, then the company which is left will escape. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord who didst say to me, Return to your country and to your kindred, and I will do you good. I am not worthy of the least of all the steadfast love and all the faithfulness which thou hast shown to thy servant, for with only my staff I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two companies deliver me I pray thee from the hand of my brother from the hand of Esau for I fear him lest he come and slay us all the mothers with the children but thou didst say I will do you good and make your descendants as the sand of the sea which cannot be numbered for multitude so he lodged there that night and took what he had with him a present for his brother Esau 200 she-goats and twenty he goats, two hundred ewes and twenty rams, thirty milch camels and their colts, forty cows and ten bulls, twenty she asses and ten he asses. These he delivered into the hand of his servants, every drove by itself, and said to his servants, pass on before me, and put a space between drove and drove. He instructed the foremost, when Esau my brother meets you and asks you, To whom do you belong? Where are you going? And whose are these before you? Then you shall say, They belong to your servant Jacob. They are a present sent to my lord Esau, and moreover he is behind us. He likewise instructed the second and the third and all who followed the droves, You shall say the same thing to Esau when you meet him, and you shall say, Moreover your servant Jacob is behind us. For he thought, I may appease him with the present that goes before me, and afterwards I shall see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. So the present passed on before him, and he himself lodged that night in the camp. Okay, lot there. <laughs> What's going on? Well, first and foremost, in these series of verses, Jacob here, really, if we're just going to get to the heart of it, gets the scare of his life. Why? Because Jacob knew that he would have to face his brother, who at one time planned to kill him. So Jacob sends messengers to Esau with a carefully worded message to let him know that Jacob wasn't coming back to to try to dominate Esau. No, he was coming as Esau's servant, seeking his favor as he nervously waited for his messengers to return, I'm sure. I mean, (laughs) think about it. What is going on in Jacob's mind? What is the tension? What is he thinking? Maybe something like surely Esau will be friendly by now. After all, it's been 20 years. And it's God who, who commanded me to come back. So God must have calmed Esau's anger. I can't imagine the kind of intellectual gymnastics that Jacob might have been going through. And the messengers returned saying, what in verse six, we came to your brother Esau. And furthermore, he is coming to meet you and 400 men are with him. (laughs) What must Jacob be thinking? Well, at least the question, why is he bringing 400 men with him? Did Jacob freeze? When do we find the first meaning of fear? but after Adam and Eve sinned, right? When God came looking for them in the garden, they hid themselves because they were afraid. Brothers and sisters, sin results in guilt. And guilt causes fear towards God and towards the one we have wronged. Apply that truth to any one situation you're in right now. And if you have found yourself in fear, then it probably had something to do with that sin, guilt. We fear the retaliation we know we deserve. There is something that is still yet just inside of all of us, I hope. I think this was the root of Jacob's fear. Now, what's striking about this is that 20 years have passed. I made this point the other day. You know, we say, boy, how time flies when you're having fun most especially how time flies when you're with your beloved, but I would include in that whole mindset that we could also say how time flies when we are in fear, how time flies when we hold grudges, where a year and a half feels like a day. Maybe someone has wronged you, and every time you see them, something just wells up inside of you. A year and a half, two and a half, five years later, it just as well could have been a day because that's how you felt five years before, right? The same could be said of fear. So here in this narrative, Jacob's conscience came stalking when he thought of facing Esau, especially when he'd heard that Esau was riding towards him with 400 men, right? Think about that. How he must have flashed back to that day when he tricked Esau. When he tricked his father out of Esau's blessing, he could hear Esau's anguished cry as he discovered what had happened. I'm sure he could remember the murderous looks his brother had given him before he fled to Haran. I'm sure it all came back when he heard that Esau was coming with how many men? 400 men. Mm, mm, mm. All right, I'm looking up at the clock. (laughs) <laughs> and there's so much to say here, but we are going to have to wrap up our discussion. And like I suggested earlier, tomorrow we are literally just going to pick up where we left off. Uh, I may reread some of those verses, but the essence of this discussion is just going to pick up where we left off because this discussion is, is so important for us because I think all of us in some way, shape, or form have experienced the exact thing that jacob is experiencing here and so we have a very important lesson to continue to reflect into amen amen all right let us close with a word of prayer in the name of the father and the son and the holy spirit amen good and gracious god we do just give you special thanks and praise for the gift of another evening the gift to be able to reflect upon your word we ask that you pour out your graces upon each and every one of us especially all those who are taking time under their busy schedules to listen to this podcast, that the Word of God might inspire them to be the best version of who you are calling them to be. Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you.